Let us pray. Have thine own way, Lord, and have thine own way. You are the potter, we are the clay. Mold us and make us after your will. While we are waiting, yielded and still. Amen. Today we begin a new series called uh, Shaping Things to Come. And in this message series over three weeks, we're going to answer the question, in whose hands should you place your future? And before you assume the obvious, I'm going to tell you that the answer, at least in part, may actually surprise you. In this series, we're going to spend three weeks examining one passage of Scripture. In fact, you're going to hear the same Scripture reading, the one that Jimmy just read to you, read every Sunday for three weeks. Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 to 11, all about the potter and the clay and the wheel. As I read through this text again and again during the last number of weeks and in preparation for this series, I kept thinking of something a, a former New York Yankee Hall of Fame baseball player used to say, and that's Yogi Berra. And over the years, Yogi said a lot of things, many of which did not make complete sense. For example, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. Or how about this one? A nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. Or this one. The future ain't what it used to be. I like this one. You better cut the pizza in four pieces because I'm not hungry enough to eat six. (laughs) Or this one. Always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. Now, many of the things that Yogi Berra said cannot easily be parsed, but when he said this one thing, he really nailed it, and you here you see it on the screen. It ain't over till it's over. In other words, no matter how things look today on the 6th of January, 2013, it ain't over yet. These are words to remember. These are words to live by. See, a mistake that you and I, many people that we often make, is to think that the way things are today or the way things are in our lives right now are the way things are just destined to be. You know, the economy will always be this good or the economy will always be this bad. Uh, Business will always be this good or business will always be this bad. Uh, This relationship will always be this good or this relationship will always be this bad. But what we do is we forget that No situation, and maybe I should actually say very few situations, are permanently fixed. There's kind of an ebb and flow to life. The tide comes in, the tide goes out. In fact, when I came here to the church this morning, it was very foggy. And it actually reminded me of the very first poem that I ever wrote that got published. It's called The Fog. I'm going to recite it for you. The fog rolls in, the fog rolls out, the fog. (laughs) That's just the way it works. Now, the truth is, at the same time, an encouragement and a warning. So we should live our lives with this in mind, and, and that's that throughout this series, the message you're going to hear over and over again from Jeremiah is this. It ain't over until it's over. 
And today I want to give you just three reasons why, no matter what you're going through today, and I don't have any idea what some of you are going through today, any more than you have any idea what I'm going through today, but I want to assure you that no matter what's happening, it ain't over till it's over. Now here's the first reason. And the first reason is because the potter is at the wheel. Jeremiah said in verse 3, So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. Now, I think it's pretty obvious, as you heard the reading today, that the potter symbolizes God. And so Jeremiah makes it a point to say that he, the potter, God, is at this wheel. And the fact is, sometimes it just doesn't really appear to be that way, does it? I mean, it seems that you're just kind of a big lump of clay slapped on top of a potter's wheel, and it spins around, and everything's kind of totally out of control, and you're kind of at the whim of whatever kind of comes into your life. But, friends, we've got to understand, there is a potter, and he is sitting at the wheel of your life. He's shaping you, he's molding you, he's making you into the kind of person that you are capable of becoming. Now, in the icy waters that surround the big island of Greenland, there are countless icebergs. Some of them are small icebergs. Some of them are pretty gigantic icebergs. And if you watch them closely enough, you're going to observe that often the smaller ones move in one direction and the larger ones move in another direction. Now, I'm curious enough to know why that is. Well, very simply, the smaller ones are driven along by surface winds. The larger ones are moved along by underwater currents. Now, you can't see the currents, but the currents are still there. And the icebergs that have sufficient depth in them are carried by the direction or their movement in spite of the way the wind blows. Kind of describes our lives, too. Some of you perhaps have heard of Bertrand Russell. He was an early 20th century, very outspoken critic of religion. He was a diehard atheist. He was once asked what he would say if he ever met his maker after death, and his response was, God, you gave us insufficient evidence. Now, those are the words of an atheist. You didn't give us enough evidence. And the truth is, there are a lot of people in this world who are much the same. They feel the same way. I mean, since God exists primarily in the deep ocean currents, since he is not mathematically definable, since he doesn't hold press conferences, uh, some people just suppose that God doesn't really exist. But I think most of us know, at least most of us who call ourselves Christ followers, know that God cannot be proven in a lab. Just like modern science cannot locate the part of the brain which actually makes decisions. Did you know that? Science can pinpoint where in your brain decisions are carried out, but they can't figure out where the decisions are actually made. But in spite of that lack of adequate scientific explanation, we do know that, in fact, there is a decision-making function of the brain. Now, how do we know this? I'm going to tell you how I know this. There's evidence. I'm still not standing in my closet trying to figure out which tie I was going to wear today. 
I made a decision. That's the evidence. I actually made a decision. Now, God's presence in your life may not be empirically discernible, but he's intuitively discernible. I'm going to apologize for that sentence. Did anybody ever have this problem where every once in a while your intelligence kind of shoots out? And you say something or write something, and you know exactly what you want to say, but you're pretty sure that everybody else, when they hear it, is going to understand what you're talking about. I've had this one sentence in my sermon for a couple of weeks, and I can't think of any other way to say it. But I'm going to say it again. God's presence in your life may not be empirically discernible, but he's intuitively discernible. Now, can I put that in other fashion? Well, I can in a way. Jeremiah 29, verse 13 said, You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That kind of helps explain it a little bit. And I say never give up in your life. No matter what's going on in your life, don't give up because the potter is still sitting at the wheel of your life. Here's the second thing. A potter can transform a mistake into a masterpiece. Now, the potter's at the wheel. Now, does that mean that you're never going to have any pain or problem or disappointment? Of course not. In fact, in the lesson we heard this morning in verse 4, it says, The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. Now, in the old King James, it said the vessel he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. Another version said the vessel was broken, which he was making with clay. And the New Living Translation says, but the jar he was making did not turn out the way he had hoped. In other words, there are going to be many times in your life when the jar of your life, the pot of your life, when the clay of your life gets marred. There will be times when things turn out not only different from the way that you wanted them, but different, really, from the way that God wanted them. Uh, But here's a very crucial, crucial decision to make. It's this, not everything that happens in life is by the design of God. But if you let him, God can redesign anything that happens. That's very important for us to know. Not everything that happens in life has to do with what God is doing. But God can take whatever happens in your life and he can redesign it. See, many times we dismiss tragedy with a kind of a meaningless platitude. We say, oh, bless her heart. Or sometimes we say, oh, it must have been God's will. Because if it wasn't God's will, it surely wouldn't have happened. You've probably heard people say that, haven't you? I know I have. I know a lot of well-meaning people who say to others who have gone through some of the most horrendous types of tragedies, oh, well, it must have been God's will. I don't know if you remember, not so long ago during the political campaign, we heard a politician that says that when a woman becomes pregnant in the course of rape, God intended for it to happen. Now, what kind of twisted logic could possibly lead some person to come up with that goofy, nonsensical conclusion. I mean, where did we ever get the idea that if something happens in our life, that it must be God's will? Where did we ever get that idea? The answer is, I don't know, but I can tell you where you didn't get it. 
You didn't get it from the Bible. And that's the difference today. I'm, I'm, I'm off on another tangent right now. I am so upset that so many Christians hang on to this worldview, the way the world sees it, and that's how they react. But not enough Christ followers have a biblical worldview. It's almost like they don't have enough sense to check out what the Bible actually has to say about it. Many Christians have their opinions. They absolutely, positively know what they think and believe, but guess what? They absolutely, positively don't know what the Bible says about it. They're kind of like cement, all mixed up and set in place. That's your mini-sermon. That's a bonus. Now, if it's not in the Bible, I mean, the Bible makes it very clearly that a lot of things are not the will of God. For example, the Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Guess what? He may not be willing for any to perish, but many, in fact, are dying without knowing Jesus. His will is that everyone come to repentance. But a lot of people never change their mind and change their direction and get to the point of repenting. That's why God, or why Jesus, in his prayer, the Lord's Prayer, says that we should say, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, in heaven, everything is as it ought to be. It's perfect up there. On earth, God's will isn't always done. If it were, then we should just cross that line out of the Lord's Prayer because it's rather redundant. God's will does not always take place on this earth as it is in heaven. I mean, sometimes the pot doesn't turn out the way he'd hoped. But what happens when it doesn't? Well, verse 4 says, He crushed it into a lump of clay and started over again. He reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to do. See, not everything that happens in your life and my life is by the design of God. But if you let him, if you allow him, he'll redesign your life. In other words, things happen outside the will of God, but nothing ever happens outside of his control. There is no situation in anybody's life who's here today that is beyond his power to redeem. He can take the broken parts of your life. He can take the parts of your life that just seem like it's an utter disaster, you know, where people say, oh, man, it's another rotten year, 2013. I mean, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's underestimating the power of God and what God can do with all of that. God can shape things into something marvelous. Now, sometimes the clay, you, sometimes me, sometimes the clay of our life gets marred because of our own dumb, bad decisions. We, we make bad decisions, we get all messed up. Sometimes it's because of the bad decisions of other people, and these are experiences that are not God's per perfect will, but God can still take all of that and use them to shape something good. Now, some people then will say, but why doesn't God then, I mean, why does God... Or why does the bad experience have to happen at all? Why, why can't God just step in and make it disappear and stop it before it happens? Well, let me explain it this way. 
I want you to imagine for a moment that you're a first grader. Let's, let's say you all got a first grader. And your first grader has a kid at school uh, who is being mean to him. Now, you could probably make that problem go away real fast. I already see Jason's working that problem through. You could just go and beat that little dude up. <laughs> that fix him to mess with J.J. Or you just hunt down his daddy <laughs> and you beat him up real good. Or you could take your little kid to school, or you could take your kid out of school, but I would suggest to you that that's not really how things should be handled. So what are you going to do? Well, you go and you speak to the teacher, and you speak to your son. You talk to him about how to stand up to a bully. You help him get through it. You're involved, but you're involved in a deep current level, you might say. It is not your will that some little bully at school picks on your kid. This happened outside your will. When it happened, you helped him get through it. You intervened at the level that was best for him so that in the process, he could learn something about courage and about how other people should be treated. I want to suggest to you that is probably a more biblical worldview approach than the typical worldview that a lot of people have. See, in a more perfect way, this is how God is involved in your life and in my life. Rather than thinking that God is the one who is messing things up, understand that God is there to help you get through whatever it is you messed up or somebody else messed up. So stop blaming other people for sin. Stop blaming God for, well, that's got to be your will. And start seeking His help to get you through this. Now, some of you, maybe, maybe you've heard of a guy named Thomas Nast. Thomas Nast was a uh, 19th century political cartoonist. There's his picture up there. He is the guy uh, who's credited with being the first person to draw the elephant as the symbol of the Republican Party and then decided the Democrats needed a donkey and did that too. Now, there's an interesting story told about Thomas Nast. I don't know whether it's true or not. But it said that there was one time he was painting in front of an audience, which 19th century painters often did. And he very quickly sketched out this landscape uh, of meadows and cattle and field and a farmhouse and a bright sky and puffy white clouds. And then he stepped back from his work and everybody clapped. But he wasn't finished with the painting. He suddenly turned to all the darker colors and he began recklessly applying all those darker colors to that pastoral scene. He blotted out the sky and the green meadows and the colorful flowers until the, the landscape seemed to be destroyed. And then he turned to the audience and he said, have you ever seen anything like this before? And the crowd kind of watched silently. I mean, they were stunned. They could not applaud his second efforts. And Thomas Nast, he said, stood away. And he asked some people to come forward to this gold gilted frame and put it around the picture, which a lot of people thought was like putting lipstick on a pig. And then he told them, take this painting and turn it a little bit to the side. And at that point, everybody knew exactly what was happening. In the new position, from a new perspective, they could see it was actually the painting of a waterfall with the streams flowing, plunging over dark rocks surrounded by trees and green grass. Now, that story might be a, a fable, but I'll tell you what isn't a fable. 
God can do the exact same thing in your life. God can take all of the blotches, the mistakes, the sections of marred clay, turn you into a masterpiece. And, and, and not everything that happens is by the design of God, but God is a master redesigner. So don't give up in your future just because things seem to be wrong at this time. Remember, it's not over until it's over. That brings us to the third and final thing. God will shape your future if you're willing to be the clay. Now, in this sense, you, you get to choose your genetic makeup. You can be stone or you can be clay. You can be cold and old and brittle, or you can be pliable, moldable, and changeable. Now, we're going to end our service today by singing a song that has a verse in it that says, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. Now, that old hymn comes from two Bible passages. One from um, Isaiah 64, verse 8, where it says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the works of your hand. And it also comes from this reading that Jimmy shared with you before. In other words, you kind of get to decide what kind of clay you're going to be. You also get to choose who's going to sit at the wheel of your life. Now, some people decide early on in life, I'm not changing for nobody. I will not be pliable. I'm not surrendering control to anybody. And what do they do instead? They just kind of allow their life just to be lived kind of on the random spinning of some wheel. Now, believe it or not, a number of years ago, actually Nancy and I both took a pottery class where we lived in Hong Kong. And uh, after a few basic instructions like how to take that clay and mess around with it, we learned how to master that thing on that wheel, and you turned on, we used the kick wheel. I didn't like that too much. I kept kicking myself in my own foot. But you turn on the electric wheel, and you kind of learned how to do this. And, and I can tell you that the first, oh, two or three hundred times, uh, <laughs> it was a big, gooey, globby mess. Yeah, you know, I'd stick my hands in it when I told about how to put your thumbs in it and, you know, and to start making a pot and spread it. It, just, it was miserable. Uh, it wasn't as easy as it looked. And if clay has any hope of being a beautiful piece of pottery, it needs to be in the hands of the right potter sitting at the wheel. I almost brought one today I made that actually isn't bad, but didn't. The good news for you and me as pieces of clay is you can really choose who you want to be the potter. You get to choose how pliable you'll be. Jeremiah said, Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. See, in this life, you get to choose who the potter is. You get to choose what kind of clay you want to be. You can be stubborn and cranky. You can be under the potter whose name is Satan. Or you can be pliable under the hand of the potter whose name is Jesus. In this life, you can choose whether you're just blown away around by surface winds, following, if you will, just a secular worldview, or... 
be driven by the deep ocean currents of biblical worldview guided by that mysterious hand of God. It's up to you. That's why it ain't over yet. That's why it's too soon to give up on your future. This is why it's too soon to give up on anybody's future. I remember a couple of years ago when a mother came to me and, and told me, you know, that her daughter's life was over. And she'd never amount to anything. As a result of some bad choices this young girl had made. And I sat there and listened. And it struck me that she might just as well have been describing our daughter. Some of the similar kinds of choices. And you might be prone to say, oh, look, what happened? Never amount to anything. I wish my daughter were here today. I think I'd love to have her tell you a story about bad decisions where the clay got messed up. And even though she started working at a subway, you know, she went and got some other things today. Today she's the Midwest talent manager for one of the largest personal services companies in the world. How'd that happen? I mean, they always say, Terry, when did you graduate from the University of Texas? Because she's always, you know, hook them horns. I don't, that's the one big mistake that we really made in <laughs> raising that girl. At least we got one boy that's big in the will. He was born in Nebraska like a good boy. Well, she never graduated from the University of Texas. Everybody she works with has MBAs. Where'd you get your MBA from? She didn't get an MBA. What's your education? Uh, the Bloomington School of Cosmetology after I graduated from high school. I'd, I'd tell you that she'd probably stand up here and say today, it's because I put myself under or in the hand of the right potter. My life had been in the wrong hand for a while. But once I submitted and took my problems and set them over here, where somebody can change them all, life began to change. And when that happens, then you turn around and you say, all glory be to God. See, there's a current, even though it can't be seen from the service. There's a potter at the wheel. He can take any mistake that you make, your kids make, any of your friends make, people at work, people in school, can take any of those problems and he can turn it into a masterpiece. All you're going to need to do is learn how to say, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. May God bless that in your life and in all of our lives. Amen.